ओम नमो भगवते भासुदेवाय Chapter 24, Chanting the Song Sung by Lord Shiva, Text 67. Kastwat padab jambi jahati pandito. Kastwat padab jambi jahati pandito. Kasteva mana vayamana ketana. Kasteva mana vayamana ketana. Vishankayasma Guru Archati Smayad Vishankayasma Guru Archati Smayad Vinopapatim Manavasta Churjasha Vinopapatim Manavasta Churjasha Kastwat Padab Jambijahati Pandito Kastwat Padab Jambijahati Pandito Yasteva Mana Vyayamana Ketana Yasteva Mana Vishankayasmad Guru Archati Smayad Vishankayasmad Guru Archati Smayad Vinopapatim Manavashtatur Dasha Vinopapatim Manavashtatur Dasha Kastratpadabjam Vijahati Pandito Kastratpadabjam Vijahati Pandito Yastevamana Vyayamana Kejana Shankayasmat Guru Archati Smayad Shankayasmat Guru Archati Smayad Vinopapatim Manavashtatur Dasha Vyayamana Decreasing. Decreasing. Ketana. Archati worships Sma in the past, Yat that, Vina without, Upapatim agitation, Manava the Manus, Chatu Dasha, fourteen. Translation My dear Lord, any learned person knows that unless he worships you, his entire life is spoiled. Knowing this, how could he give up worshiping your lotus feet? Even our father and spiritual master, Lord Brahma, unhesitatingly worshipped you, and the 14 Manus followed in his footsteps. Purport. The word Pandita means a wise man. Who is actually a wise man? The wise man is described in Bhagavad Gita in this way. 
After many births and deaths, he who is actually in knowledge surrenders unto me, knowing me to be the cause of all causes and all that is. Such a great soul is very rare. Thus, when the wise man actually becomes wise after many births and whimsical attempts at self-realization, he surrenders unto the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna. Such a Mahatma, or learned person, knows that Krishna, Vasudeva, is everything. Vasudeva Sarvamiti. Learned persons always think that life is wasted unless they worship Lord Krishna or become his devotee. Srila Rupa Goswami also says that when one becomes an advanced devotee, he understands that he should be reserved and perseverant, chanti, and that he should engage in the service of the Lord and not waste time, avyarta galatom. He should also be detached from all material attraction, virakti, and he should not long for any material respect in return for his activities, manashunyata. He should be certain that Krishna will bestow his mercy upon him, ashabanda, and he should always be very eager to serve the Lord faithfully, sumatkanta. The wise man is always very eager to glorify the Lord by chanting and hearing Namagane Sadaruchi. And he is always eager to describe the transcendental qualities of the Lord. Asaktistad Gnakyane. He should also be attracted to those places where the Lord has his pastimes. Pritistad Vasati Stale. These are symptoms of an advanced devotee. An advanced devotee, or a perfect human being who is actually wise and learned, cannot give up his service at the lotus feet of the Lord. Although Lord Brahma has a long lifespan, 4,320,000,000 years constitute 12 hours in a day of Brahma, Brahma is afraid of death and consequently engages in the devotional service of the Lord. Similarly, all the Manus who appear and disappear during the day of Brahma are also engaged in the Lord's devotional service. In Brahma's one day, 14 Manus appear and disappear. The first Manu is Swayambhuva Manu. Each Manu lives for 71 Yugas, each consisting of some 4,320,000 years. Although the Manus have such a long lifespan, they still prepare for the next life by engaging in the devotional service of the Lord. In this age, human beings only live for 60 or 80 years, and even this small lifespan is gradually decreasing. Therefore, it is even more imperative for human beings to take to the worship of the lotus feet of the Lord by constantly chanting the Hare Krishna mantra as recommended by Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. 
When one is engaged in devotional service, he is often surrounded by envious people, and often many enemies come to try to defeat him or stop him. This is not new in this present age. For even in the days of yore, Pallad Maharaj, who was engaged in the devotional service of the Lord, was harassed by his demoniac father, Hiranyakashipu. The atheists are always prepared to harass a devotee. Therefore, Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu suggested that one be very tolerant of these people. Nonetheless, one has to continue chanting the Hare Krishna mantra and preaching the chanting of this mantra because such preaching and chanting constitute the perfection of life. One should chant and preach about the urgency of making this life perfect in all respects. One should thus engage in the devotional service of the Lord and follow in the footsteps of previous acharyas, beginning with Lord Brahma and others. Translation again. My dear Lord, any learned person knows that unless he worships you, his entire life is spoiled. Knowing this, how could he give up worshiping your lotus feet? Even our father and spiritual master, Lord Brahma, unhesitatingly worship you, and the fourteen manus followed in his footsteps. Om Ganachimadandasya Gananjana Shalakaya Chakshun Militangena Tazmai Sri Guruvena Maha Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nithananda Sri Advaita Gadadhara Sri Vasadi Govakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare We are hearing the Rudra Gita, the song sung by Lord Shiva, who is conveying this song to the Prachetas. The Rudra Gita contains prayers by Lord Shiva to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In the verse we are studying today, Lord Shiva is pointing out Number one, who is actually a learned person? And how do you avoid spoiling your whole life? He says, my dear Lord, any learned person knows that unless he worships you, his entire life is spoiled. Any learned person. So who is actually learned? Does our material qualification help us to understand Krishna? Does our material qualification help us to understand the science of the soul? No, we need a different kind of education. An education that at its basic level produces gentlemen and ladies. Those who know how to control their senses. Those who know that they are different from the body and mind. That's the rock bottom foundation of education. With those kind of good qualities, one can then proceed higher in terms of knowledge 
And as Krishna says himself in Bhagavad Gita, Bhuna Jamana Mante Kanama The truly wise person is one who has come to the conclusion that Krishna is everything. Everything is Krishna's energy, and therefore one must engage in devotional service to the Lord. Otherwise, you will engage energetically in service to the illusory energy. So we should always keep in mind who is actually learning. I was very happy to hear from His Grace Aniruddha Prabhu how 110 persons in the Melbourne Mahaprabhu Mandir community have signed up for Bhakti Shastri. This must be a world's record. (laughs) It shows devotees want to indeed become truly wise. Not just ritualistic worshippers. I've done my home puja today. Everything is fine. (laughs) You want to understand what you are doing. Why you are doing it. Why it is that Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, By all the Vedas, it is I who am to be known. I'm the compiler of the Vedas. I'm the goal of the Vedas. You want to know why does Krishna say that? Is bhakti yoga, the science of devotional service, simply something you do on your way to some other kind of perfection? You know how the belief is widespread that you may worship whatever being you like, Durga, Shiva, Brahma, Vishnu, Ganesh. Apply yourself to that worship faithfully and you'll get to the ultimate Brahman, which is beyond all these personalities. This is complete concoction. In Bhagavad Gita, Krishna clearly points out who is the ultimate source of everything and what is the difference between serving that ultimate source and engaging in the service of lesser personalities. And Krishna himself says, Brahmanohi Pratishtaham, The impersonal Brahman is based on me, the person. Just like sunlight is based on the sun. Once we actually understand Krishna, then everything becomes clear. In this way, our life is successful. How many of you would like to feel that your entire life is spoiled? None of you. We all want to be successful, even though life is so short. You want to attain certain goals. You want to acquire certain possessions. You want the respect from others that you have done something well. You want that respect, certainly from your family. You want your children to be able to look up to you and say, my parents achieved. But what is it that we must achieve that will make this entire life a success, and without which our life is completely spoiled. The spoiled life means never mind how much money you have, never mind your material qualifications, even never mind how temporarily happy your family is. At the time of death, all that is finished. Just like when the waves in the ocean come crashing on the shore. The waves have white foam on top of them. 
But then what happens to that white foam? It's all gone. So the intelligent person is always keeping this in mind. This is why in the fifth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, Lord Vrishabdev talks about defeat, how your whole life becomes a reservoir of defeat. By not using your intelligence, your resources, and your energy for what it's meant for, service to Krishna, you're simply struggling mightily in an ocean of defeat. So we need to keep in mind what is real success. At University of Melbourne on Thursday night to a full crowd of eager listeners, we discussed how everyone wants to be happy and fulfilled. What does it mean to be fulfilled? It means to have the feeling that your purposes are accomplished and that others recognize this. What if you accomplish all your material purposes but no one recognizes it? You get no acclaim. Your relatives don't know. Your neighbors don't know. You feel very bad. So there are three basic things that we want. We want to be part of a nice social network. We want to feel that we're surrounded by persons who recognize us. And then we want to feel that our life has meaning and purpose. You just don't want to live randomly. Although some scientists loudly declare that you're just a bundle of matter that has come together randomly and that there's no purpose to existence, you really don't want to live like that. You want to feel that your life has a particular value and meaning for yourself and for others. And then you want to feel a sense of Stability, meaning that throughout the various ups and downs of life, somehow or other, you're in control. So I explained to the students that let's get to the bottom line of these three ingredients of so-called happiness and fulfillment. So you say you want to be part of a nice social network. What does it actually mean? What's the gut bottom line? What is it you're feeling in your gut? You want to be loved. But you don't say it like that. I want to be loved. You say, I want friends. I want family. I want children. I want nice neighbors. I want to be part of a nice society. The bottom line is, you want to be loved. And then when you say that you want your life to have meaning, purpose, the purpose-driven life, <laughs> what are you actually meaning at the, in your gut? Your meaning, I want to feel important. <laughs> so here you go. You want to feel loved, you want to feel important, and then what about 
the stability, the feeling of security in life. What's that actually all about in your gut? It's all about, I want to be in control. <laughs> so there you have the program for the conditioned soul, Jiva Bhuta. <laughs> Love me, make me feel important, and let me control you. <laughs> I'll be happy. <laughs> Isn't that what it's all about? <laughs> Subtly or grossly. <laughs> I was speaking a few days ago at a festival, annual festival in Ukraine, 6,000 devotees, and I explained to them something I heard from Srila Prabhupada that I've been thinking about very deeply. You want to be happy, so you do things. You use your senses and your mind as implements to bring happiness to you and beat back distress. And in doing so, you attempt to form alliances with others. Partners, spouses, whatever the current terminology is. Your hope is that by our combination, we will attract happiness and deflect distress. But Srila Prabhupada explained a very interesting insight that as soon as you want to enjoy, you have to control. We tend to think that my motivations and endeavors to enjoy are harmless. It's just natural. I extend myself into the world to achieve enjoyment, to achieve happiness. What's the problem? Everyone is doing like that. I'm not being cruel to others. I'm not terrorizing others. I'm just expressing myself naturally as a human being. Organic happiness. <laughs> organic food. <laughs> organic happiness. We tend to anoint ourselves with that kind of halo. What I want is nothing unusual. What I want is doing the world no harm. But the fact is, there's no such thing as innocent material enjoyment. Because as soon as you act for material enjoyment, you have to be the controller in some way, gross or subtle. All right, someone's a big thief, someone's a small thief, but still a thief is a thief. Someone's a big Ishwar, someone's a small Ishwar, but still the same basic disease is there. So I explained that our attempts to, in, to control, because we have to control to enjoy, in other words, that's the way material existence is set up. You cannot act for enjoyment without controlling to some degree. And you can watch yourself doing this during the day. You can even keep a journal, you can make a diagram, and you'll see all the pretenses for being innocent. They just evaporate. You can see what's really going on, the bottom line. Maybe your arrangements to control are very subtle, just like moving an eyebrow. <laughs> but still it's control, right? Maybe if you dress a certain way, you hope to accomplish your purposes. 
Or maybe if you build your muscles, you hope to accomplish certain purposes. I was speaking once last year at an event at the Noida Temple in India. And the program was especially, and in fact exclusively, for ladies between the age of 18 and 32. The temple organized this. So, because we've been having programs just for the men, and so I guess the temple leaders wanted to be more balanced and universal. So they said, Maharaj, can you please uh, address the young ladies' population? So we spoke about the trends in current society, which more than ever make women into objects of exploitation, And then it was time for questions, and there happened to be a, guest, a lady guest. She's about 33. Some other she slipped in. She wasn't part of the regular congregation. The young ladies who were present were all, almost all, regular attendees of the temple. But somehow this lady had walked in, and she heard me speaking about. Uh, the kind of fashions and dressing that is so common these days. Hmm. And she didn't like it. And that was evident in her question. She raised her hand. Swami, uh, what's wrong with ladies, now this is India, bear in mind, what's wrong with ladies wearing revealing clothes? It's their way of accomplishing getting what they want. So what is the problem? The men build their muscles. They're strong. They get what they want that way. The ladies have other, another muscular system. <laughs> By dressing revealing, they can accomplish their purposes. What's the problem? You either accomplish your purpose this way, or you, like the men, or you accomplish your purpose another way, as the ladies do. It's all the same. In other words, you've got to control you either control with physical strength or you control with wearing revealing clothes. The whole bottom line is the same. In order to be happy, you have to control. Well, so she's asking me this in the temple. I was quite shocked. But this is what's going on. The syndrome is becoming more and more out in the open. That the purpose of life is to get what you want. In traditional Indian society, you know. To accomplish your material purposes, you worship the devas. But now in contemporary society, of course, that's all being pushed aside. Why go to the devas? Why bother with the demigods? You get what you want your way. That is progress. So we have a problem. In that by our proceeding in this way, Acting to accomplish material goals while controlling grossly or subtly 
our whole life becomes spoiled. Where do we get the intelligence to see that? It's difficult, I know, because, as I said, the whole process looks so natural and organic, right? Look, I have goals, I have purposes. You don't want to be known as being a, a person without goals, right? People think, as they say in Australia, they think you're a daydreaming no-hoper. <laughs> you want to feel that uh, you, you can accomplish things. Uh, you've set goals, and your whole life is dedicated to those goals. You're going to be loved, you're going to feel important, and you're going to feel in control. That's the bottom line for the conditioned soul. What Lord Shiva is saying, in this prayer he's offering to the Supreme Personality God, and he's denying all that. He's presenting to you that the greatest personalities all approve of rendering devotional service to Krishna. Everyone is influenced by the opinion of others. So who are the persons whose opinion we should truly be concerned about. You can't deny that you're affected to others, affected by others. So the Bhagavatam is pointing out, become affected by the greatest personalities, otherwise you'll be infected by, infected and affected by so many lesser and deluded personalities. So the Bhagavatam is asking you, take your pick, who's going to influence you? Some people will say, oh, but Brahma, the Manus, Shiva, this is all mythological. But to a truly learned person, upon hearing about the depths that people have sunk to today, would consider, I can't believe it, it's mythological. How could people be so corrupt and so polluted and uh, so overrun by lust, anger, madness, envy, and greed? I can't believe it. This must be mythological. Just think. Uh, 5,000 years ago at the time of Pritchett Maharaj hearing Bhagavatam from Shukadeva Goswami. In the 12th canto you find Shukadeva Goswami forecasting what Kali Yuga will be like. You can just think, a person in the audience while Shukadeva is speaking to Pritchett Maharaj, hearing, the person hearing about the future Kali Yuga would think, I can't believe it, it's mythological. How can people live such short lives? How can they be so deluded? How can they be so crazy? Nah, this is myth. <laughs> but now we have the reverse. <laughs> people are indeed so unfortunate, so agitated in mind. Their lives are so short. But when they hear about Brahma, the Manus, oh, I can't believe that. No one can be that intelligent. Who would want to control their senses anyway? What's the point? <laughs> So everything depends on your standpoint. As Krishna says in the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita, what is night for one set of persons is day for the other and vice versa. So we want to become influenced by Brahma, the Manus. In this way, our life becomes authorized. Why should we waste our short life living whimsically? As if we ourselves, independent of any higher authority and knowledge, can chart our own course. It is so foolish. 
Example I often point out. It's like a young child. Like this young child right here. How old? Five. Suppose this five-year-old child says, Mother, I'm going to do things my way. <laughs> Everyone laughs. <laughs> I will figure out about the mortgage. <laughs> I will handle the car payments. <laughs> I will choose my career. And now I'm going to go to work and get my own money. Everyone would laugh. This child is crazy. <laughs> Take him to a psychologist. <laughs> but this is how we are in material existence. Krishna, I'll do things my way. Or we have a modified version of that, which doesn't sound so bad. Krishna, I will do things your way when I'm old. <laughs> I will do it, but when I'm older. Spiritual life is meant for when you're in your 60s and 70s. That's the natural time for taking a bhakti. But when you are in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, you should focus on career, making the money, real estate investments, <laughs> expanding your dynasty, making sure the children can continue your empire. Right? <laughs> That's just another way of saying, Krishna, no. We're not going to do what you want. So this is our madness. Therefore, Lord Shiva is talking about spoiling your entire life. Sounds very scary, doesn't it? Just think, you become 65, 70, 75, 80, and then someone pronounces... Your whole life has been spoiled. <laughs> but because we live in a society that encourages spoiled lives, you think it's normal. I have attained things. I have acquired wealth. I have acquired prestige. I have investments. I have properties. <laughs> My family is all looking to me. <laughs> Everything is fine. This is a spoiled life. But because everyone is doing like that, we feel safe. As I often point out, we present ourselves that, look, I know I'm not the greatest saint, but I'm also not the worst sinner. <laughs> I'm an ordinary person just trying to exist in this world. But that so-called ordinary existence is condemned by Srimad Bhagavatam. To understand this, we need to hear from the greatest personalities. Then you understand what is life meant for. Just like you expect your children to hear from you. You expect your children to follow your program. We are all parts and parcels of Krishna. Why can't we hear from Krishna and follow Krishna's program? We're so busy downloading into others what their goals should be, especially our children. We want them to be successful. And so we tell them, you should do like this, you should do like that. I was explaining in Mayapur earlier this year how, yes, my mother downloaded into me when I was a little kid. My boy, do you want to be successful 
You have to be three things. Remember this always. You have to be a scholar. You have to be an entrepreneur. And you have to be a Christian. <laughs> be those three things and success is guaranteed. <laughs> we all have something that's been inserted into us that drives us forward. And then you hope to have a family and you're going to raise your children your way according to what you think is the goal of life. But when we consider that we're all children of the sea-giving Father Krishna, then we take into account what is Krishna's plan for us. When we consider Krishna's plan, we also have to remember and understand what is the highest attainment in life. Because we are servants of Sri Taitanya Mahaprabhu, who is giving out his confidential treasury, pure love of himself. He's Krishna distributing what has never been distributed before. In the worst possible times. The worst possible environment. <coughs> By hearing about what is the ultimate goal of life, we become purified of these lesser trivial goals. In Sanatan Shiksha, part of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, where Lord Chaitanya is instructing Sanatan Goswami, Mahaprabhu explains about Priyojana, the ultimate attainment, love of Krishna. The heart becomes soft. And then, because the heart is softening, we become established on the platform of pure goodness. Not sattva guna, but vishuddha sattva. The goodness that has nothing to do with the material energy and can't be corrupted by the material energy. This is the level of bhava. The constitutional nature of bhava is, indeed, we're situated in pure goodness. And the marginal characteristic of bhava is that the heart opens up to loving propensities to Krishna. This purport talks about the preliminary characteristics of love of Krishna. It's describing, in part of the purport, about the characteristics of someone who attains bhava. The first example is given of Pritchett Maharaj. <clears throat> Tolerant. What was his attitude toward being cursed? by the young Brahmana boy Srini. Let it happen. It's just another material disturbance. This is a remarkable display of tolerance. Everyone has to tolerate in material existence, whether you're a devotee or not. But what is your purpose in tolerating? Materialists have to tolerate so much inconvenience and austerity in order to achieve their goals. But devotees, by their tolerance, develop a soft heart 
And in this way, they can achieve life's ultimate goal. So Pritchett Maharaj has demonstrated. Uh, I've been cursed. Even Srini's father came to Pritchett Maharaj. And what was Pritchett Maharaj feeling? More than his own danger at being cursed, he was feeling how bad Srini's father must feel. How embarrassed the father must feel that his son has made this curse. I don't want to inconvenience the father. The best thing is I just accept the curse and die. And that's the best thing for everyone. This is how tolerant he is. And then he's not wasting a moment. He's telling Shukadeva Goswami and the assembled sadhus, sages, yogis, demigods who had all gathered to see Prichamaraj depart from this world. He told them, don't stop glorifying Krishna for a moment. The snake bird may come, whatever may come, but we must all continue hearing and chanting about Krishna. So in this way, he's displaying these qualities. As our heart becomes softer, these qualities start to develop. We're attracted to living in a place where Krishna's glorification is going on. We want to be near such a place. We want to be part of such a place. Because at that place, you have the activities of the spiritual world. Hearing and chanting about Krishna. Bharat Maharaj is given as an example of someone who disregarded his prestige. Even though he was king, he abandoned his... He walked away from his monarchy and was begging even from the homes of his political enemies. As Srila Prabhupada writes in the purport, sometimes in taking up devotional service, Persons are envious. They may come and try to make your spiritual life miserable or impede your spiritual life. I was just hearing an example about one of my god brothers, a sannyasi. His father was very wealthy. So his father had it in his mind. I know how to deviate my son, get him back into normal life. So he called up his son and said, please come over, let's discuss. He said, look, here's the deal. I've got a steak in the kitchen, and I've got a glass of whiskey here. You drink the whiskey and eat the steak, I give you a million dollars. What would you do? What would you do? You'd start calculating, wouldn't you? <laughs> and then you would excuse yourself by saying, well, I would give all the money to Krishna. Not all, but half, 50%. <laughs> yes? <laughs> this is what happens when you become, when you start walking the path back to Krishna. The illusory energy puts impediments in your way. I remember my own mother. I'm going to get in trouble because sometimes my relatives listen to 
my glasses. <laughs> so one day she called me up and said, I never told you this, but when your grandmother left this world, she left a special fund for you for when you come back home. <laughs> and there was a pause, and then she said, think about it. <laughs> so these things happen. Just when you think your spiritual life is moving along wonderfully, some impediment comes up. Some workplace crisis. You know, oh, by Krishna's mercy, I have a nice job. I can do what I want. Even uh, I'm left on my own. I can read. I can listen to lectures. No one knows. Ah, Krishna's so kind. And then what happens? Your boss changes. <laughs> As the expression goes, new boss means new job. <laughs> See, the same job, but because the boss has changed, it's like you have a new job. And so then you're in complete anxiety. Oh, no. <laughs> I remember one young man. He's from Delhi, but he had just come to Sydney. And he was working for world-famous managemental consulting firm. Was it McKinsey or something like that? Yes. And so uh, he was a new recruit. So he had to in endure various inconveniences, but he wasn't prepared for the inconvenience that came upon him. He was ready for anything except this. His immediate supervisor was an Australian lady who had started at the company when she was 18 as a secretary and then worked her way up through the ranks. So by the time she was 26, she had some kind of middle management position. And since he was a new person, even though he had an MBA, to test him, McKinsey put him under her. And so he walks into work for the first day. He's introduced to his boss, and she tells him straight out, you're from India, huh? I know that you think women are lower, but I'm going to show you what reality is like. <laughs> I've heard how they treat women in India. Now you're going to see. You're going to see the truth. And she made his life miserable every day. And even the higher management could see that. But they told him, look, if you want to work for McKinsey's, you've got to go through this test, you know. We want to see how you handle it. Oh, he was... He was so distressed. Every day she would ride his back. Do this, do that. You haven't done this right. You haven't done that right. He didn't know what to do. He was at the point of having a breakdown. So you think that there's nothing to tolerate in the material world, but only when you become a devotee, uh, you have things to tolerate? No. This is an ordinary, everyday occurrence that he was going through. So... This went on for several months. And then one Monday morning, he came to work, walked into the office, and he saw that she was looking very emotionally devastated. 
She had rings around her eyes, obviously hadn't slept. And as he walked to his desk, he was trying to get past her to his desk. Okay, what kind of hell do I have to go through today? She said, oh, there you are. I've been waiting for you. I've had such a horrible weekend. Can we please go out and have a cup of coffee? He's like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> what is this? <laughs> so somehow he had to slip out of it. Yeah. Tears are starting to come from her eyes. Uh, such a bad weekend. Can we talk about it? So these things go on. We have to tolerate Sometimes in the association of devotees, there are misunderstandings. Uh, you don't feel appreciated for your glorious efforts in serving Krishna. <laughs> right? No one notices. Someone else gets all the glorification, even for something you did. It's not fair. <laughs> Krishna, how could you do this to me? <laughs> I sincerely did devotional service. I should get public recognition. I should get public credit. <laughs> and I'm not getting it. That's it for me. Enough of this association with devotees. I'm just going to stay at home and chant and watch TV and <laughs> do my own devotional service my way. <laughs> So yes, it's true. In the association of devotees, sometimes there are misunderstandings. But are you going to tell me that misunderstandings don't exist in the material world, in the corporate world? <laughs> there are truckloads of misunderstandings. But somehow or other, when we're serving Krishna, we think everyone should understand me, everything should be fine. But we're operating in a social environment. The association of devotees is a social environment. And they're all different types of devotees at all different levels. And so you have to be practical about that. Some are new. Some are older. Some are new becoming more advanced. Some are older becoming less advanced. It's all going on at once. This is like a big one-room schoolhouse. You know, a school that has all the grades in one room. Maybe in... Villages or small towns, they have like that. So we have all different types of persons with different aspirations and motivations, all existing together. You look in the kirtan, everyone is dancing, but each individual has a different aspiration, a different desire for bhakti intensity. And Krishna can handle all that. So sometimes, yes, we're misunderstood. Sometimes we rub each other the wrong way. But because our goal is serving Krishna, we tolerate. Bart Maharaj was so tolerant, he would go and beg from the houses of his political enemies. Not that he was seeing them as enemies, but uh, they were seeing him in that way. But still he went as a beggar when he used to be the monarch. Such an astounding example of not striving for prestige. So these symptoms, quoted in the purport, are from Lord Chaitanya's instructions to Sanatana Goswami about the preliminary stage of love of Krishna. 
Before Prema comes Bhava. And we need to know where we're meant to be going. That information is there so we can have some understanding of what the goal is. Yes, we need to understand that we're not the body. Yes, we need to understand that material fulfillment will never satisfy us. But remember what Mahaprabhu is giving away from his confidential treasury. He's giving away the love of Krishna. And we're meant to develop in that way. The information is there in Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita. That's why Mahaprabhu is speaking to Sanatana Goswami. This is not confidential information like what Ramananda Roy and Mahaprabhu discuss. No, this Siksha to Rupa Goswami and to Sanatana Goswami is meant for us to assimilate so we can know what the future should bring. Just like a child should know that in the future you'll go to school, you'll go to university, or you'll go to the Brahmacharya. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> this is what future will be like. Just like my mother told me, in the future, if you follow my instructions, you'll be an entrepreneur, you'll be a scholar, and you'll be a Christian, and everything will be nice. <laughs> so Mahaprabhu is doing that with Rupa Goswami and Sanat Goswami, explaining what the future is as the heart softens and the attraction for Krishna develops. And as the heart softens and one becomes established on the platform of Baba, you become situated in Stai Baba, permanent relationship in ecstatic love for Krishna. That becomes apparent to you. Now, there's an interesting point about attaining our original constitutional nature. We should know that. We should know what's up ahead. Just like when you're driving, you want to know what's the destination and what's on the way to the destination. So, I was explaining uh, at the festival in Ukraine that... Srila Prabhupada echoes exactly what Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasi Thakur says. They both warn against devotees going off on their own and thinking, I will just chant Hare Krishna. I will just hear about Krishna. I'll do that in solitude. I don't need devotees. It's just me and the holy name. It's just me and hearing the glories of Krishna. Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasitakur warns, this is cheating. He says, though, there is a time for that. But first, what do you do? First, within the kirtan, you become aware of your original constitutional nature. Within the congregational chanting. Only then, he says, can you dare to consider nirjana bhajana going off on your own and just chanting on your own. And Srila Prabhupada in his Vrindavan Bhajan prayers concludes the same exact way. Within the kirtan, the advanced stage of bhakti becomes known to you, becomes experienced by you, and only then could you consider chanting in a secluded place. So this is 
what the association of devotees can bring. We need devotees because we want to be part of the kirtan. We want to sit in Bhagavatam class and speak and hear the glories of Krishna. For all that, we need devotees. And in that association, we don't simply experience occasional inconveniences. Prabhu, I didn't mean that. You misunderstood. Uh, No, I didn't do that. (laughs) It wasn't my mistake. (laughs) That happens occasionally. But don't forget what are the benefits. Within the association of devotees, within that kirtan, within that congregational glorification of Krishna, that is when our original constitutional position is awakened. We become established in Stai Bhava on the way to Krishna praying. This is what we're meant to be progressing toward. So Mahaprabhu has given us such valuable instruction At the Russian festival, I pointed out something else. The words of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasitakur, as remembered by his disciples, he said that what was, see, what was happening was there was a flood in Calcutta and the Ganga had come up. So Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasitakur took advantage of that occurrence to point out something about the value of Shastra. He said that, let's say that you're caught in the Mahapralaya, the flood at the time of cosmic dissolution. (laughs) And let's say you're swimming in that flood and you have three books. That's all you can carry with you while you're swimming in the waters of annihilation, the Mahapralaya. And you have to let go of one book what do you do first? You let go of Bhagavad Gita. You're swimming, you're struggling, you have to let go of another book. It's unfortunate, but said the next book you let go of is Srimad Bhagavatam. said, but never let go of Sri Titanya Charitamrita. Because in Sri Titanya Charitamrita, the full glories of Radha Krishna Lila are revealed. What is hinted at in the Srimad Bhagavatam is fully explained and revealed in Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita. So he said, never let go of that. From another point of view, of course, Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita is Srimad Bhagavatam because there's so many Bhagavatam verses in it. And Mahaprabhu is demonstrating the highest level of love of Krishna. That means love of Krishna in separation. Virahabhav. By hearing Lord Titania's instructions to Rupa Goswami and Sanan Goswami, we can see clearly where we're meant to be going. And certainly, we're praying that someday we can become qualified. But first you have to know what is the goal. Just like you're going to the university, you know the goal is I should graduate. I should get this degree, get that degree. You're climbing the corporate ladder, you know the goal is I should attain this position. I should attain that position. Just like I was talking to Dear Sharomani and 
Oh, so you have this position in the hospital? You've just been promoted? What comes next? So he knew. After this position, there's that, and then there's that, and there's that. So Mahaprabhu is giving you the most valuable information about the various stages in bhakti and what comes next, and then this, and then that, and that. So this is our wealth. And this information keeps us from spoiling our life. Mahaprabhu is speaking about this because we need to know it. So therefore, Lord Shiva is saying in this Rudra Gita, any learned person knows that unless he worships you, his entire life is spoiled. Knowing this, how could he give up worshiping your lotus feet? Knowing what is ahead down the road in bhakti, how could you give up? Hare Krishna. Any questions? Yes? Stagnation is caused by offenses. Offenses to the holy name, offenses to the deities, and offenses to devotees. Offenses to the spiritual master. Familiarization. Uh, you think, ah, yeah, bhakti, chanting, devotees, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another day, same old, same old. That means you're taking things for granted. Your material vision is starting to predominate. You're seeing devotees materially. You're seeing the chanting materially. You're seeing the spiritual master materially, the deities materially. So we have to guard against that because it's a natural material tendency due to the effect of time. Time deteriorates all the material freshness. So we need to make sure we're established on the platform of spiritual freshness. As explained elsewhere in the fourth canto, it's the super soul in your heart that makes so-called routine devotional service every day be ever fresh. It's the super soul who allows you to see that. I'm doing the same thing. I'm sweeping the same floors. I'm dealing with the same numbers. I'm doing the same routine devotional service, but every day is a sensation. <laughs> every day is phenomenal. That's the super soul allowing you to see that. But if we take things in a material way, which can happen because the nature of material existence is things run down. Things go downhill. Hmm. Krishna himself says that in Bhagavad Gita, right? Sakalenaha mahata yoga nashta prantapa. I spoke this knowledge before, but due to the effects of time, things have gone down. The meaning of Bhagavad Gita has become lost. Not the verses. <laughs> they haven't become lost, but exact purport of the verses has become lost, therefore I need to speak it again. So that's the way material existence is. We guard against our spiritual life running down due to familiarity. We guard against that by actually begging Krishna. I don't want to be ruled by my imperfect mundane perception. Please allow me to see the glories of devotees. 
Please allow me to hear the Hare Krishna mantra. Please allow me to perceive the glories of the deity. You have to beg for it. Because familiarity and casualness is a natural part of material existence. So we have to expect that. And you have to know how to reclaim the freshness, reclaim the vitality. And that takes some humility. We have to admit, I'm very tiny. I can easily be overwhelmed. I can easily lose the plot. So we beg Krishna. You are the controller of perception. You're Hishikesh. Please let me see the glories of devotees. Let me... Remember what it's like when you first take up bhakti? All the devotees look shining, remember? And you feel so insignificant. I've never seen people like this before. They're all glowing. I remember the first time you tasted prasad. Just like at the program Thursday night. Uh, it was <clears throat> the end. Uh, everyone had their prasad. All the people who attended the program, it was really sumptuous prasad. Uh, and it was almost time to close up. So I was leaving. Uh, I noticed that there were a few people online had their canisters. <laughs> what Aniruddha Prabhu told me, uh, Kerma would call canister adhikaris. <laughs> <laughs> they had their canisters, you know, ready to get all the last bit of prasad for tomorrow, you know. So as I was... I walked out then onto the street and then I saw this squad of young Indian students and they had a totally focused look on their face and they, and they were coming very quickly. So I, I asked the driver, what are they doing? Where are they going? He's saying, they know it's the end of the program. They'll be left over for <laughs> They were totally focused. Like, Moving in unison. Just There was no doubt in their mind what they were going for and what they were going to get. Their eyes weren't moving right, left. They were just about ten of them. And they knew now is the time. Not the program, not the chanting, not the kirtan, but now. So I thought, oh, Krishna, if I could only have their focus <laughs> for all aspects of bhakti, how successful I would be. <laughs> so we should always pray to Krishna to allow us to actually see the glories of devotional service. You can't do it by material ability. It's nothing that you can materially inherit. It's nothing that can be measured by some vocational test or aptitude test or personality test. You have to beg Krishna. And the best way to beg Krishna is by be- begging Sri Tadana Mahaprabhu, Sri Nityananda Prabhu. When they take notice of us, then Radha and Krishna take notice of us. Anything else? Yes? Um, you were speaking about this controlling mentality. And we have it outside of devotional service, but also within devotional service. And it's very difficult to give up. So, could you give any advice on that? You'll find that by sincerely engaging in devotional service, your improper motivations are cleansed. 
Sometimes we become afraid that if I take up this service, my impurities will be revealed and I'll be pushed out of my comfort zone. But we don't want to be comfortable with material motivations. And if we're sincere, Krishna in your heart knows how to arrange for you. In other words, we need to trust Krishna. Let me engage in the bhakti processes. Krishna will arrange for my purification. We like, due to our material consciousness, we like to feel we are in control of all our situations, even in bhakti. But as you start to trust Krishna more and more, as you engage in devotional service, you realize that let Krishna be the arranger, let Krishna be the controller, I'm just a humble servant. We lose that arrogance, which I explained to be like a five-year-old child telling his mother, I'll take care of myself, I'll arrange. You don't have to do anything for me, I know. I'll look after the mortgage, the car payments. It's foolish. But that's the mentality we have as conditioned souls. We're very foolish. Any questions? This grace Anuruddha Prabhu has some wisdom for us. Mana sunyata, not desiring material um, recognition. Is there such a thing as spiritual recognition in that Lord Chaitanya says that we should be recognized as a great devotee? If we want to be recognized as anything, we should be recognized as a great devotee. And and, and usually in this even our leaders, they have followers and they get recognition. And so um, there's, there's, if we're following in the footsteps of the, you know, the great devotees of the Acharyas or whatever in our society, then um, there may be, or, or, or maybe not, a, um, an aspiration to you know, be recognized as a, as a devotee. What is that material or spiritual? Or can it be, as part of a spiritual process, become material also just because of <coughs> um, previous condition? We want Lord Chaitanya to recognize us. And that leads to Srimati Radharani recognizing us. And she recommends us to Krishna. So it, I've seen in the society of devotees that you may be recognized by other devotees, you may not, but you definitely want to make sure that Lord Nityananda, Lord Chaitanya, and ultimately Krishna's dear most devotee recognize you. That is our good fortune. That is our best fortune. Certainly it's nice to be recognized by devotees, but it's not, there's no guarantee. But if Mahaprabhu recognizes you, you'll know about it. If Srimati Radharani recognizes you, you'll know about it. 
So yes, we do want to be recognized, but don't expect that in a society of devotees, everyone is aware exactly of the glories of all the individual devotees. How many of Srila Prabhupada's godbrothers fully understood what he was doing? Even though it was happening right in front of their eyes. Mm. Let's make sure that Krishna's representative recognizes us. In that way, our life is truly successful. Anything else? Yes? Um, you about you know, how they, when you're trying to practice Krishna consciousness and Maya throws all different kinds of uh, turbulences. <coughs> so, you know, we might start having our programs, you know, like, uh, chanting is happening nicely, or reading is happening nicely, and then services are happening, but then very quickly the reading starts to struggle, or the chanting starts to struggle, so it's always a constant challenge and turbulence. So in that circumstances, how do we measure our progress? Material existence means impediments. But if you maintain your determination in spite of the impediments, Krishna becomes impressed. You have to understand the nature of material existence. It's a hassle. It's a problem. But if you're focused on attaining the goal, even though the disturbances may rock you, <laughs> you don't become knocked off course. You continue forward. That shows sincerity. This is why we have initiation vows. To always chant at least 16 rounds a day. When we take that vow, it's not that, well, if my work job becomes too intense, then I stop chanting all my rounds. We didn't say that when we took the vows. Oh, when I have a child, everyone knows, well, not everyone, but... The normal people know that you can't chant your rounds. <laughs> no. Our vows at initiation <clears throat> maintain our spiritual commitment through all the various troublesome phases of life. So we can look at our initiation vows in that way. <clears throat> the example given often is about a fast day. Gorpornima, you have to fast till evening. Certainly during the day you'll get hungry, your stomach will be rumbling, and you'll see the little kids around you eating, right? <laughs> Getting all the maha, <laughs> you can't eat. <laughs> and you want to eat. You keep looking at your watch, three o'clock, four o'clock. <laughs> but you remember, it's a fast day, and that vow keeps you on track. What to speak of, Janmashtami. Fasting till midnight. <laughs> so vows are an essential part of spiritual life. It's very important. They can carry you through all the ups and downs of the spiritual journey through the material world. Ladies, no questions?
Any other problem? Um, Prabhupada mentions in the purport that we should be the perfection of life is to be attached to chanting and preaching about chanting. One should chant and preach about the urgency of What you know? What, what should I be doing as a preacher? And how do we relate to that collectively as a community of preachers? And you know, how do we work out what's my where do I fit in all of that? Directly or indirectly, everyone should be involved in some activity or activities for spreading Lord Chaitanya's mercy. We need persons on the front line, so to speak. And we need supporters. Everyone should have something to do in aiding that greatest endeavor. <coughs> Don't make the mistake of thinking, oh, I can only offer few resources, a few hours a week. It all adds up, especially in a huge congregation like this. This person gives two hours, this person gives these resources, that person gives more hours, more resources, it all adds up. As the saying goes, many hands make light work. But if you're just waiting for the superstar to appear, that one person is going to do everything. How are we going to make spiritual advancement? Yes, we glorify devotees who are able to give so much in Krishna's service in terms of time and resources. Because remember, time is money in the Western world. <laughs> so we glorify devotees who are able to see their way to making that sacrifice of time and resources. At the same time, though, everyone's effort is appreciated. Maybe you can only give a couple of hours a week, maybe this amount of resources, but it all adds up. So if we all feel the necessity to assist Lord Nityananda, Lord Chaitanya, in distributing their confidential treasury, if we all feel that I need to do something, then everything adds up. So this is every person's responsibility. This is the responsibility of every individual devotee. And when we start thinking like that, I have an individual responsibility then that becomes multiplied and you see things happen. I was just hearing about one temple, uh, part of my GBC zone in the USA, temple in New Jersey. Uh, I would think smaller congregation than this glorious congregation here. Uh, And they decided we're going to have a goal for Bhadra Purnima. Our goal is 100 sets, full sets of Bhagavatam. And one week before Bhadra Purnima, it looked like they weren't going to make the goal. Somehow that they got all the congregation on board and dispelled this notion that, oh, I only know one person who who might take a set of books, uh, uh, 
well, what's the use of my making such a little effort? You have great maharatis in this congregation who are distributing ten full sets of Bhagavatams. What's the point of my being concerned? No, they, that notion, that concoction was dispelled. Everyone understood. Whatever little bit I can do will all, will all add up for this glorious cause. So it looks like they weren't going to make their goal one week before. They hadn't. They were at 75 sets. And then Bhadra Purnima came and they shot past their goal and distributed a, a total of 140 sets of Srimad But you could easily leave them in the dust. <laughs> Without a doubt. But what happens, whether you're having a goal for remodeling the kitchen, even a new building, or distributing a profuse quantity of sets, what happens is everyone has to think. Even though it seems I'm only giving a little, it's all going to add up. Of course, I wish I could give more, and if I have more, I'll give more. But this notion that, oh... What does it matter? I'm so busy. Uh, I have so many bills. I only have a little bit of time, a little bit of money. Uh, no, everything adds up. And then what happens is the infection gets in the system. This, this is great. I'm actually feeling ecstasy. <laughs> and you become aware of the miracle of devotional service. I like giving to Krishna. Anyway, it all belongs to him. <laughs> But I, I like this. I'm becoming purified. I'm becoming happy. I'm acting in my constitutional position as part and parcel of the Christian. So this is something that we all can do. Ramp up our contribution, recognizing that everything belongs to Krishna. My time belongs to Krishna. And then you'll see the ecstasy in the devotional community ramp up also. The prasad will taste better. The kirtans will be more ecstatic. As devotees, in mass, make more spiritual advancement. All right. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.